Hey, and thanks for listening to Englewood, the podcast. My name is Diana Campbell, Diana Dismas Campbell, and I'm your hostess. In each episode, you'll hear a short conversation. It will be about the hometown that we love so much from the perspective of people who knew you when. We'll reflect on our schools, our leaders. We'll describe our neighborhoods. We'll simply reminisce. So as you listen, listen for your name. Listen for your family, your block. These are our stories and our voices. This is our time capsule, if you will, for setting the record straight and leaving the record for posterity. I hope you'll join me in paying homage to Englewood, New Jersey. I'm with Pamela Major. She's a longtime friend, so long that I call her sister. Um, welcome, Pamela. Great to be with you, Diana. You've been prepped. You know what this is all about. We're going to just dig in and talk about your Englewood story. I always start by asking about your origin story. How, tell us about how your family got to Englewood. Sure. Uh, my mother is actually third, gen- second generation Englewood. Her father was even born in Englewood. And uh, my father was a transplant from the Bronx uh, by way of uh, Jamaica and the Bahamas and uh, moved to Englewood actually about three doors down from my mom uh, when he was 13 years old. Um, They fell in love on William Street, got married, and uh, I'm the product of that. And that's, uh, that's that's my origin. So your parents went to Dwight Morrow together then? Um, actually my mom is five years younger than my father. So he was out by the time she was coming in. Pamela, you have an interesting, um, way of thinking about the time period that we grew up in Englewood as the Camelot years. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. And I, I thought even more about it, you know, at the time of, uh, King Arthur's, uh, Jubilee, if you will, um, it was Camelot and, and our country in the time where Kennedy, uh, JFK was president, it was it was Camelot, right? Which happened to be in the same uh, era of time of my birth. And uh, it was a time where there was there were struggles, there were fights, but it was a time where people of color in Englewood were actually flexing their muscles, if you will. They were empowered to advocate for their children in a way that had not been afforded them. The neighborhood, I speak of William Street and then there's Humphrey Street and there's, uh, you know, this whole um, group of, of streets around that. Those were the streets that were built up for the help, for the people that worked for the people that lived on the hill. And so mm-hmm. you have a group of chauffeurs and butlers and cleaning people and washerwomen that said, if I have to have two dresses and half a pair of shoes, things are going to be better for my children and my great and my grandchildren than they are for me. And I believe that they saw us in their mind's eye and it gave them the strength and the courage and the humility to just do what they needed to do to make sure that our generation had so much more and so many more opportunities than their generation. And they fought, they wouldn't have called it a vision statement. Um, They wouldn't have called it a mission statement. Yeah. I would think that they, they wouldn't even have known to call it a movement. Yeah. Um, But there was enormous social activity amongst African-Americans in Englewood. And I would dare say, 
um, in neighboring places as well, because you know of things like the Cotillion, that mm-hmm. was an organization primarily in Teaneck, but but had a um, a lot of participation from Englewood. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of advocacy, you know, like you said, self-advocacy yeah. and self-determination and a, and a vision, although not stated, as to what was going to be for their children, the kind of community that they were going to create. It was it was organic. Yes, yes. In the same way that uh, Dr. King said, I have a dream, and from what I understand, that was not in his notes for that mm-hmm. speech. Uh, that's what I believe our parents and grandparents' generations would have said uh, about what they did for us. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get very concrete about what self-determination looked like growing up during the Camelot years. What's up, everybody? Coming to you live. You already know what this is. It's your boy, Marvelous, the CEO and founder of Marvelous Water. That's right. And coming to a store near you, my own alkaline bottled water brand. If you want to look good, feel great, take better care of yourself, then go grab some of this Marvelous Water off the shelf. You can also hit me at Marvelous Water 1 on Instagram and Facebook. Also, my website, www.marvelouswaters.com. Remember, drink Marvelous Water. Change your water, change your life. All right, I'm back with Pamela Major. Um, we're talking about the Camelot years. What what years would you say that represents? Sure. Um, I would say that goes from the early 60s, um, probably right through uh, the 80s. I would say, you know, the the strength of it or the the architecture, architectural structure of it, I would say 60 to 70s. Um, and then the implementation of it from the 70s through the 80s. I was going to say, and let's give some really concrete examples of that. Gosh, um, gosh, there's so, there's so many things. Uh, there were just groups of people that just cared about you. And I, I think that that's something that cannot be understated. Um, we went in groups to football games, to parades, to basketball games. We went to, uh, you mentioned the cotillion. Like I remember the year that myself and your sister were in the cotillion. It was like, all of us, there were like seven or eight of us from Englewood who had family members on the board that gave the cotillion. So we were pretty sure we weren't going to win, right. but we definitely <laughs> wanted the pretty dress and <laughs> and the experiences. So, you know, we had that. Um, also something, um, you know, we had um, Memorial House. We had a community center to go to. That was huge. I mean, everything from... I played chess there. I played basketball there. I did modern dance there. There were so many opportunities to be um, culturally developed, right? And and to be diverse in your ability to do things. It was just, it was marvelous. You talked about um, going to basketball games in groups. And one of the things I remember is, you know, because of the connectivity, you may have had your closest friends on one side of, of town, but that didn't mean that your entire block didn't walk together 
right? <laughs> go to the game, right? <laughs> so, so it's interesting when you said that. It, it's not that I didn't have friends in other places, but your neighborhood was by mm-hmm. default your community. Um, so you're right. That that, yes. that feeling of um, having groups, large groups of people that cared about you. And I love the, the mm-hmm. reflection on, you know, um, the, the community center. Um, you know, your dad was an institution in and of himself, right? And we're going to come back and talk about uh, <laughs> the Board of Education yes. and the naming of Liberty mm-hmm. School um, and football. Um, give us some sort of favorite people or events or things that, that you like to reflect on. One of, one of the people that I remember and just hold her so precious in my heart was my third and fourth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Lorraine Kelly. Mrs. Kelly heard in my voice and saw in me an ability to speak. She was really the first person outside of my mother who tuned into that and helped me to develop my voice. And she was just, she she and her family were so kind to me. And so I, I have to say Lorraine Kelly, and I had a series actually of English teachers, uh, Evelyn Clyburn and Dexter Bennett, uh, all of whom I had for two years. So I feel very, very blessed to have had that experience. Um, within the community, you know, the, um, the Herrings, the Taylors, the Tinsleys, the Drakefords, um, and these families just, we just collapsed, the Dismises, I mean, how could I ever, <laughs> we're, right. we just collapsed on each other. We just, you know, we just flow together. We, we always have, and I believe we always will. There was um, a, a, a loosely formed group called Couples 10 that um, our parents were <laughs> a part of, and you went to some of the other families, mm-hmm. we're probably not going to get them all, but the Herrings, the Stenards. Taylors, yep. um, the, uh, Jacksons, the Jacksons, you know, and they mm-hmm. would get together. I think, like you said, as an excuse just to just to have a party, but it was a club, and they raised mm-hmm. the money. What, what do you remember about that? <laughs> I remember, um, and that may have fueled my love of giving events. I remember going to the Imperial Manor with them as they put together the New Year's party that they had every year for, I think, probably seven to 10 years. Um, You know, safe place, safe people, lots of fun. And um, I can remember particularly my mom and Marlene Tinsley just laying everything out and saying it had to be this way. This is what we want. This is what we don't want. And they were um, feminine and ferocious at Mm -hmm. the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It was going to be the way that they set it up. And I love them for well, that. Well, I remember, you know, yeah. they would rotate, I guess, parties at houses. And I would love when the party was at mm-hmm. our house because, you know, I could sit up on <laughs> our little balcony and, and, and watch them, you know, play cards and drink and telling stories. Yes. And again, uh-huh. it was, they're sort of the people in your neighborhood and then there's family and then there are these groups that you are just a part of and sort of having... A, yeah. a large, various circles, right? It's one thing mm-hmm. if you're the person who runs in one circle, 
but it's amazing when you have three, four, five, or six different circles where you yeah, are. Yeah, and it's it's influence, it's exposure, it's opportunity, and those friendships, even the people that I don't speak to regularly, when we see each other, we know right. we're family. You know, we've had the experience of our parents um, transitioning from earth to heaven, and we collapsed on each other. We were in each other's homes, um, on each other's phones, crying tears together because it was family. It is family. And that is, um, you know, that's Camelot. That is the the impression. They, they built an emotional, um, a family network and community that still has teeth decades later. And this this interview is a result of that. That's right. Well, I can talk to you all day, Pamela. We actually talked for an hour before <laughs> we even hit record. So we should stop here, but we're actually, you're going to do two episodes because I really want to spend time yeah. talking about your dad. He was so incredibly special to me, but he was special to the community. He was an icon and I think that deserves its own time. <laughs>